When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is that you're going to wear your hat now? Right at this moment. No, all the time. I didn't shower today, so I got on a bus this morning. Hi, and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Jason Kebler, staff writer. Sorry if I sound like I haven't showered today. It's because I haven't. I'm joined with... <laughs> That's just how you sound every day, Jason. You can't tell my cleanliness based on... <laughs> or maybe I can. Maybe this is the tell. Maybe this is the new... Is this... Do you just never shower before you come into work? Who even are you? Can you introduce yourself oh, to I'm the Oh, I'm Brian Merchant. I'm the guy that has to sit across the table from Jason and be aware that he doesn't shower before he comes into work. I got on a bus at five in the morning. I slept on a couch last night, so you were at a crypto con. I was at a I was at a crypto con, so uh, yes, I was in D.C. at an encryption debate, uh, which has been going on a lot lately and is kind of boring at this point. And we've talked about it before, but basically, what's going on is the NSA and FBI want you want tech companies to be able to uh, install backdoors to their encryption. Uh, encrypted messaging software so you'd basically be able to give a warrant to apple and they would have to give like you know the contents of the your iMessages to the government they say that yeah um they say that this oh my god hold on (laughs) what is going on are you okay i just had slept very little last night anyways (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know, computer scientists say that this is very bad because once you introduce any sort of vulnerability into encryption, you increase the attack surface is the technical term, which allows, you know, hackers to attempt to uh, break encryption and steal messages as well. Uh, and we've had so many hacking incidents lately um, that basically this is very bad. So um, I won't really get into the specifics of the arguments right now, but basically we're kind of like in an impasse. We have like the FBI and NSA who are very angry at Silicon Valley for saying we won't do this. And we have Silicon Valley saying we can't do this without completely ruining our products. And it's very interesting to go to like a DC type uh, panel discussion and just watch them shout at each other. Um, I've been going to these things for like years now. And a few years ago, I would say, it was much more cordial um and that's interesting yeah like they've just kind of the sort of patience is worn out and they're just kind of afraid because it's the same argument at its core right that they just keep having well i just think there's like so much more legislation coming out in terms of like internet and data and being able to 
do commit crimes online that I'm sure like the FBI is trying to get ahead of it or trying to figure out ways to curb it. Yeah, the basic like cycle right now is like someone in Congress, it's usually Diane Feinstein of, from California or like Mike Rogers, who is not around anymore, introduces some sort of vaguely worded like legislation. Um, the internet freaks out like Reddit has like a blackout or a protest and all sorts of you know, letter writing campaigns and stuff. Congress has a few hearings and then nothing gets passed because the legislation is written usually very broadly uh, and it can be kind of like over-interpreted to take away many of our civil liberties. And, um, and they're unpopular on both the left and the right. Yeah, like the, the people who kind of introduced this legislation want it to go further. The people, the privacy people say that it doesn't go, like it goes way too far. Um, and you kind of get like, people shouting back and forth at these various like both hearings and like panel discussions at various like DC think tanks, which is what this was yesterday. And it was like a Stanford technologist uh, saying we can't do this. And like someone from the tour project saying we can't do this. And then you had lawyers for both the justice department and um, the NSA, like the, the intelligence committee saying, if we don't do this, there will be a terrorist attack. And, terrorists will use you know encryption and bad bad things will happen and is that their biggest argument that's it's child pornographers terrorists and quote bad guys it's always just bad guys um and <laughs> bad guys on the dark net yeah dirty things yeah and you just get this like over and over and over again and it's like pretty wild to see um and we're not going anywhere with this like i, th I think that you know, this debate has been going on since like the 80s with, um, you know, encrypted telephone lines. Like it's not it's not going away anytime soon. But that is my motherboard field report. Encryption <laughs> debate still bad. Um, Jamie, what have you been doing IRL lately? What have I been doing what? IRL in real life. <laughs> oh man uh i just went on a shoot actually for um vice sports in italy which was pretty awesome it involved some cliff diving which i did myself uh which was a little terrifying cliff but, like yeah. head first cliff diving no actually i went feet first because i'm a punk yeah. but um did you do a pencil dive Yes, you have to, because if you land any re like remotely any which way, it hurts like hell, and you get something that professional divers call water in the butt, <laughs> which is basically is just... that the technical term. <laughs> it is a technical term. These are like basically when to cover. Red Bull has this like massive extravagant com competition. They travel all over the world to these incredible cliffs. Some of them are like really rural, like in the jungle. Other Where ones, in Italy? Pogliano Amare, which was on the Adriatic Sea side of Italy. Uh. Um, there's just this massive town that's built on these cliffs. It's a hell of an assignment, Jamie. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the worst, <laughs> um, but it wasn't as hard hitting as I expected. I was kind of like, guys, I don't, I don't really know what else to say. This is just like a spectacle. But um, these guys are all either like Olympic divers or. A lot of them work in like Cirque du Soleil type shows. Like they're just, their athleticism is insane. So they jump off of a 90 foot cliff, <laughs> which if you do the physics, you're traveling at about 63 miles an hour by the time you hit the water. And you hit the water about like seven times the impact of diving off of like a 30 foot cliff, which is what I did. And I hit the water pretty hard. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of science that goes into like their dives. They can't go head first because it'll shatter collarbones and shoulders and oh shit. God. 
Um, the women have to dive from a smaller platform because as of now, research-wise, they've only proven like that's about as high that the female body can actually take on impact. Is these, 30 feet? No, they no? dive. 60. Um, no, not 60. The men dive from 90, from 27 meters, which is about 90 feet. Yeah. And the women dive from 22 meters. So, meters, yeah. right. So it's a little less than that. But is, is there any sort of research right now going into like, you know, expanding that? Like, how does one do that research? Well, the craziest thing about these athletes is that there's no like practice facility at that height. So they, they break down their dives um, in a pool that's like 40 feet in the air, right? So they'll do their first flip or their first somersault or twist, and they'll basically create a combination that they only do once they're in the field. And cliff diving is like the oldest, one of the oldest sports in the world. Like people forever right. and primitive, yeah. Tall thing, body of water. Jump. Running from yeah. coyotes. <laughs> basically. First, yeah. Leap, yeah. Um, so they have, I mean, obviously Red Bull puts a lot of money into like making sure no one dies during these things, but people definitely get hurt, like for sure. Um, Wasn't there a death? Not too long ago in one of these competitions. Maybe not the Red Bull one, but it was... Oh, there's a fiend. There's another competition. Um, and it's crazy because I was, as, when I was talking to these divers, I was like, you guys must feel like rock stars. Like, this shit is pretty, you know, awesome. And they're not really, like, the rock stars of the swimming world. Like, swimmers are, like, definitely, like, the NBA players compared to, like, where everything kind of ranks in, in, I guess, water sports. So they, these kind of events give them that kind of, like, popularity and... Mm attract the crowds and uh they have another competition that's i think it's called fina and i don't really know actually what it stands for actually the acronym um, it's like free diving maybe? something like that yes yeah. yeah. so i think some i think that's what you're talking about yeah um someone knows a lot about diving over here secretly yeah. <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah. right, merchant i watch from afar i can't do it myself it's terrifying it's, i went on the platform yeah so like they took the press onto the platform i have a harness and i'm there with the sports director who's like an olympic diver who's not wearing anything his name is nikki and it's like it's nauseating almost like when you get off you have like vertigo it's totally it's it's insane as what's the coolest thing you've done off a diving board Besides jump from very high, which is way cooler than anything I've done. Uh, that's it. Just jump and belly flop, which fucking sucks. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. What but, about you, Brian? Nothing. I was always the guy that, you know, all your friends go out to the quarry when you're 13 or whatever, and they're all just jumping and, you know, smoking pot and yippee kayaking. And I was the guy who's just like that's so lame. shaking in the back. <laughs> I'm like, guys, do we, why don't we like go back and go put some music on in the car or something that's cool right i was on the front page of the newspaper once seeing a front flip off the high dive whoa isn't that cool it was like local newspaper this, like just first day off. of pool open and, and like sent a photographer and it was literally spelled like my local name boy yeah like does front flip it, it's like pools pools are open again jason like cobbler yeah. <laughs> brian don't you like how jason asked us the coolest thing we did yeah. so, <laughs> so i used to do double front flips uh, is what so i wanted was to say anyone else here on the front page of a newspaper doing a front flip <laughs> off of a high dive oh no let me tell you about my experience that's exactly why i asked that question yeah. Yeah. well i jumped Good off job. of a cliff after a after a dog did which made me feel like i had to right if and a I, dog can do it then, yeah yeah and I totally would approach dead, it. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally alive. Oh, okay. And she did it like three times. I was like, she did you get crazy. Did you get water up your nose? No, I held my nose also like a punk because that is not oh, cool in so the cliff lame. diving community. You look like <laughs> the biggest wuss. But I was like, I have to deal with the shoot all day. I really don't want it to like, I don't know. Whatever. You don't want to like shake your head to the side. That's what you have to do if you get water up your nose, right? I don't know. I think that's what you do. 
You just do the snot rocket. But there. it was uh, overall pretty intense experience. I was really jet lagged. Like I approached the whole cliff diving part of the shoot. Like, oh, I got this shit. I'll be fine. And then when I got there, I was feeling awful. Like the worst jet lag, totally Red Bulled out because I had had at least three that morning. And I was like, I don't want to do this. That's really good branding. This. this is why Red Bull does this stuff. So right, we talk so about talk it about on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and say, Red Bull, the only thing that was keeping me up. Yeah. Red Bull. Right. Drink it up. Pretty That's nice. their new logo. Their new <laughs> motto. Slogan. Slogan. <laughs> All right, Brian, what did you do IRL today? That's science-y. Wow, what a good segue. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, so this week is Climate Week. Okay, this is a new segment called Why Should We Care? Well, you should care about Climate Week because it's all about raising awareness of climate change and uh, sort of gathering the heads of state who are sort of coming into New York City, coming into town for the UN General Assembly in a couple days here. So there tends to be a lot of sort of high profile climate events and announcements and uh, companies and activist groups and organizations all kind of save up their announcements and kind of uh, make the make make try to make headlines and, and try to make progress on the climate issue. So today, for instance, there was a event held in in Midtown uh, that was based out of the group called Divest Invest, and a report came out that revealed the the new tally for the total amount of divestment from fossil fuels that like wealth management funds and institutions have pledged to dump, and it, it was a huge amount, so $2.6 trillion uh, worth of funds have now been divested or have been pledged to be divested from fossil fuels which basically means that you know if you're a big pension fund or you're like norway's sovereign oil fund uh you invest in a shitload of different stuff like uh you know stocks and mutual funds and different individual things stock bonds and and one of those things is energy companies coal companies oil companies so there's this movement that's been percolating to get institutions to dump their investments in fossil fuels that are, of course, causing climate change. Does there usually come with that, like, investments in clean energy? Yeah, so the Divest Invest group is, the, is like, the broad umbrella group that is trying to encourage that. In particular, it's, at, like anything, it's like a, there's a bunch of different offshoots to the movement. The whole thing began as a student movement, like, on campus with... Uh, groups like Harvard, Divest, and the Fossil Free UC, who have been pushing their schools to divest their uh, their funds from uh, from fossil fuels, and that's where like the successes started. So, for instance, the UC system announced last week that it is divesting from fossil fuels. Stanford University has divested students. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. They've been fighting Harvard forever. A lot of the Ivy Leagues are reluctant to get out because they've historically been such well performing funds. So, uh, $2.6 trillion is a huge chunk, you know, to of all of the assets that are managed worldwide, it's like $74 trillion. Uh, and 2.6 out of that is that, I mean, we're looking at a percentage now that it's 
feasibly a factor in, you know, snowballing further investment decisions and it could actually affect the bottom line. Nobody really thought it would even two years ago when the movement really kind of kicked up in earnest, but yeah. This is not really like a business or economics podcast, but if you take that money and invest in clean energy, have clean energy stocks and funds been traditionally like pretty well performing? Like, I mean, if they end up not performing, which, you know, it seems like they will in the long term. Um, is there a risk that the money will just go back into oil or coal? No, because the pledge is that you just take it out. So most of the the most common sort of step of the of of the program is just divestment. You pull it out just by doing that. You're making a big statement. So last year, the big news was that the Rockefeller family, you know, they who made their money with Standard Oil, the all-time oil company, basically the oil company to end all oil companies and that's where their entire fortune came from. So last year they announced that they were pulling all of their investments from fossil fuels, uh, which, you know, it it amounts to billions of dollars at a time here or there. And then a a sovereign wealth fund like Norway, which is also all comes from oil money, that Norway has a shitload of oil uh, reserves and they invest that money in a broad portfolio of stuff. They announced that they're dumping all their coal stocks, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars. Wow. So, yeah, it's, and Norway's was the biggest sovereign wealth fund uh, in the world, and it still is, and it's the biggest way to move the needle is to get to those truly gigantic pools of money. Um, But to answer your question, it's it's only, I think, a small percentage, probably less than 10% is actually reinvested directly into clean energy. It is, that's the encouragement, but it's, uh, fewer people are willing to really just kind of plunk it back in and there have been some solar companies and some wind companies that have been performing very well. Solar City's been doing well um, and some have been sort of not doing as well but that's more to do with other factors like just general market conditions and whether or not energy subsidies are going to be reinstated and a bunch of boring stuff. Jamie, do you care yet? Um, a little, I guess. <laughs> but so it's not about reallocating the funds. It's just about getting them away from fossil fuels. Right. So it's the movement is spreading faster than it did in the anti-apartheid movement. Uh, part of that's because of, you know, the modern media machine. People can spread word faster and, you know, these ideas can catch on faster. But the idea that $2.6 trillion, and that's the size of the of the assets uh, collectively between all, you know, the pensions, the, uh, the, the you know, sovereign wealth funds and all those things, the collective size of those funds that have pledged to to divest um so that's a huge chunk of change and that's more it's like it's a moral statement more than anything um still it's getting into the realm where it could maybe start affecting the bottom line where investors are like i don't know if i want to invest in a new coal mine when the global investment community has this sort of like black eye uh you know i I, we might steer clear so it might start to influence decisions like that but more than anything it's a huge moral statement that says here's $2.6 $2.6 trillion worth of, uh, of, of assets that say we need to fight climate change and we refuse to invest these in or things that, that cause it. Right, yeah. yeah. Do you care now? Yeah, I think I do care now. I actually. think I care well, too. I saw this headline and my eyes sort of uh, 
I was like, oh, that's a lot of money, but I didn't really know what any of it really meant. So it, once you explained it, that seems like quite a big deal yeah. to me. Yeah, it's another, you know, climate a activists. They call them climate activists. You know, the, it's people who are trying to fight to get people, to get governments, to get businesses, one way or another, to address the climate issue. And it's been a real challenge because Congress here in the United States which is basically step one in getting a meaningful global agreement like on the table is getting U.S. Congress, the biggest, most polluting, richest country in the world, to carefully consider this issue. And for the last five years, they've just refused to do it, basically. Um, so they've had to work around it. The divestment movement sort of grew out of creative thinking that has really kind of moved the needle now. That's sweet. <laughs> nice, nice. Wait, are we really the most polluting country compared to China? Historically, historically, China has passed us now, right? Slightly. On a every year, annually, China pumps out more pollution than we do by a significant um, amount now because. But they just a, experienced the revolution. Right. Right. Industrial revolution. Right. So we've got a hundred years mm -hmm. on them, and they're also investing in clean energy on a scale never seen before. Also, at this right. point. Yeah. Is it true? I mean, I feel like a lot of it's like they say that they are, but then every time I'm like looking into these smog issues, I don't just know. Like we should go there and out. check, probably. I feel check like we should. Them. I feel See? like the three of us should go for a jog. In let's go. Well, let's, Beijing. No, let's go free diving. <laughs> yeah, in, in Shanghai through heat, yeah. bog, smog. All right. Uh, let's do one more quick segment before we got to get out of here. Let's talk about drugs. Um, we can talk about your thing later on a different podcast because no I want problem. Kaylee here. Um, because she knows all about food and things like that. That's it. Okay, so drugs. This segment is called tentatively, I'm making it up right now, Do You Want It? Um, biohackers have engineered yeast to create THC, like a synthetic version of THC. Um, the plan is to basically make synthetic THC that can then be used. Um, I don't know, you wouldn't have to smoke it. You could vape it, It'd be an oil. Um, simply because it's being manufactured by a fungus, um, which is very cool. Um, but I wrote about this story. It was done by German engineers, and there's now a startup in Canada trying to uh, commercialize this uh, technology, basically, to make THC and CBD, which is another important cannabinoid. How do you say that word? Cannabinoid? Cannabinoid. That's yeah. how I've been saying it. Um, and they basically say that you can use it to create much more... Um, uh sort of precise much more precise uh doses of medical marijuana essentially so you know there's people who take medical marijuana but they're like uh how much how many joints do i smoke or like how many brownies do i eat um so synthetic thc do you guys want it <laughs> well i'm in the midst of researching um the, the whole spice epidemic like the k2 incredible hulk like the synthetic they're calling them um like almost like incense that are sprayed with this chemical which is a cannabinoid but it's just a manipulated form of what acts like thc it's not synthetic thc right and it's straight up chemicals no in the yeah laboratory, it's right? fucked up and it's like rotting the brains of the homeless community in new york city so vice has been covering this for a while right. you editorially. can buy them at bodegas right you can buy them it's changing from so yeah, they keep changing. It's it's really like really 
crazy yeah. what they because they change they tweak the formula then the FDA will ban it and then they'll tweak it again well the DEA basically classified like various forms of this chemical under like class one like a class one drug similar to like marijuana or heroin right yeah. this is also like the bath salt scare it's not like spice is not the exact same thing but it's like part of the whole synthetic chemical yeah. drugs like made in a laboratory uh, it has like then... similar side effects like the abuse is pretty bad like there are people landing in the hospital like homeless people like landing in the hospital multiple times a day just overdosing on the substance um but uh, vice has been covering it for a while but it's just kind of uh in this weird gray area now with like um police like there's a huge push from authorities to like get this off the street so they've been raiding bodegas in harlem for a while now um and they just had a huge bus last week of like a 10 person ring that was just buying the chemical offline which is very easy to do from China, the manufacturers in China, and then they're just basically finding these like ingestible herbs and spraying them. So they're actually making, it's just way more economical for them to make it that way and then sell it for five bucks a pop. Right, so I will say uh, very clearly here the the breakthrough here is they're making actual THC, so it's not like right. uh, similar type chemical, mm -hmm. which is what spice is. Um, so in theory, it wouldn't have these side effects, but at the same time, there are many, many uh, can cannabinoids. Oh yeah. my god, I can never say that word. Um, there are many, many cannabinoids uh, when you smoke weed or when you ingest it, and THC is just one of them. It's obviously like the most potent one uh, that we know of, but you know, you start kind of taking things away, and it's unclear like what the effects will be, I guess. Um, one thing that's been raised is if you can use yeast to essentially brew THC, you can then make weed infused beer. <laughs> which would be pretty sweet, probably. Um, so I think I'd say I would want that at least uh, in legal countries, countries and or states. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it sounds very cool, but I do kind of agree with a lot of the commenters who are like, uh, this weed, we've genet not genetically engineered, but we've bred uh, cannabis to be so good at making THC on its own that for like recreational use why would you want anything else besides like this thing that is like basically pretty perfect Natural. at the moment so um i mean isn't it that like now that the door has been kicked open that we're just it's kind of inevitable that you're going to see people experimenting with you know the formula just the way you know that there's you can buy you know a thousand different kinds of hard alcohol in different forms and hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we're seeing in Colorado, kind of like yeah. people are putting in everything. There's all sorts of different strains and there's been a problem there with like the edibles, especially where they are like, we're not sure how potent they are. Right, or maybe too <laughs> strong. But what you're talking about is for me primarily for medical applications. It would be not. medical at first, but I mean, this company has said, you know, we're certainly open to Commercial. like recreational stuff yeah. as well. And like the whole, whole reason they're able to operate right now is because there's been such a like exactly. public change in public sentiment yeah. towards it. And states um, where there's are legal laboratories where you can, you know, do this kind of testing and funding is bit, right. is is a lot easier to get on this kind of for for marijuana related stuff. Right. I will say that the big problem with it right now is the same thing we see with synthetic biology and genetic engineering like all over the place and that is scaling up. So right now you can kind of genetically modify yeast to make like a very tiny amount of THC, but making a ton of it is very difficult um and costs a lot of money at the moment. So they basically need to like um 
improve the process and just you know scale it up on a massive industrial type scale um right now we kind of talk about like bioengineered meats and like lab grown hamburgers and <laughs> the first one of those cost something like three hundred thousand dollars to eat like one burger and i think now it's down to like two thousand dollars for one burger which is still obviously like way too much but um we, we won't be seeing like thc drops made by like back or fungus in a lab like tomorrow but you know maybe a couple years from now yeah. could be a thing do you think that the world of synthetics would be um still viable if like we just made lead, weed legal do you think, like do you spice s- rather or? no or just like what the, even what you're talking about just what do you always think that it will they're saying that there's a market it. for both because there's certainly people who like don't like the effects of getting high but like need it for pain management or something right. like that and they say that you know they may be able to engineer a way of getting like the therapeutic properties of thc without giving the high so that could be pretty cool um and i think it's if you can figure out how to do this if you have like mm-hmm. a skill that's incredible and like that company then has a skill that's like incredible and can be used in many different things so I don't think they're like wasting their time and trying to do it. Um, I don't know if like synthetic weed is grown in, you know, fungus is going to be like a major industry or not. I, I would right. bet not, but like maybe biofuels will be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we've got to get out of here. We had a minor technical difficulty that kind of uh, <laughs> ransacked our time, but thank you very much for listening as always. Uh, and we will see you next week. Thank you.